Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help leaders go further, faster. I'm Andy Stanley. And before we jump into today's content, I wanted to talk about a special offer from our friends at Belay. From startups to large corporations, we all want to grow. But as a leader, you need extra time to do what only you can do. It's one of the things that all of us struggle with. And this is where our friends at Belay can help. Belay will help you free up your time and allow you to focus on the things that matter most to your success and make the biggest difference in your organization. Because whether you need a highly vetted US-based virtual assistant, bookkeeper, social media manager, or website specialist, Belay has the right person ready to help right now. And to help you get started, Belay is offering their latest book, Delegate to Elevate for free. Delegate to Elevate. You can get this book for free. It's an ebook and it'll help you learn how to stop diluting your efforts and trusting your team with more responsibility. This will empower you to courageously focus on your strengths and delegate your weaknesses, which is one of the things that every great leader does. To claim this offer, you just need to text the word Andy, A-N-D-Y, to 55123. That's Andy to 55123 and get your free copy today. You'll get it in no time and you'll be back to doing what only you can do, which is growing your organization. On today's podcast, strangely enough, we're going to talk about my brand new book, Not In It To Win It, subtitled, Why Choosing Sides sidelines the church. Now, I know this seems a little bit unusual, and I wasn't going to talk about my new book on this podcast because generally we just talk about issues that deal with marketplace leaders. But my team said, no, Andy, I we think that this, this topic um, is broader than just what's going on in the local church. It has everything to do with everything going on in culture in general. So I said, okay, as a man under authority, if that's what you want me to do, that's what we'll do. Plus, I love talking about this content. So having said all that, I have re-invited my co-host back into the studio with me today, Lane Jones. Some of our veteran podcast listeners know Lane Jones because generally he's asking me questions anyway. So Lane agreed to interview me about my brand new book. So Lane, I'm going to hand it off to you. Well, it is great to be hosting the podcast again this month. So let's just jump straight into the book. Andy, I love the way you set the stage right out of the gate. The first two sentences of chapter one, to me, are just so insightful and really call out the tension or or really maybe the cause of a lot of the tension in culture. You wrote, difference is inevitable. Division is a choice. Yeah, of course, difference is always going to be inevitable. Anybody who has a family knows difference is inevitable, but division is a choice and Um, What we have experienced in our nation is that our nation has chosen poorly because we have chosen. We don't think about division as a choice, Mm. but division is a choice. Again, not difference of opinion. That's not a choice. I can't help what I believe or, you know, my opinion. But allowing my difference of opinion to divide me from another person, that's always a choice. So consequently, we have the situation where we we have today where it's kind of the battle of the buckets. You know, everybody's in a red bucket or a blue bucket. There are no neutral topics. There are no neutral people. Everything is politicized immediately. And as long as we hang on to that or embrace that perspective, we are going to be divided. And again, you know, to just rush to the end of the conversation, the goal isn't to see the world the same way or to all believe the same way. The goal is to bring our differences to the messy middle where problems are actually solved and solve problems. And as I talk about in the book, when the middle disappears, when everybody runs to their political corners, um, when the middle disappears, so does nuance. 
when there's no nuance, you can't even, we can't even talk to mm. each other. Everything is literal. Everything is stilted. Everything's offensive. We wrap every word um, with assumptions about the person's motive. And again, communication breaks down and we are divided. So, you know, as a pastor, of course, I, you and I watched this happen in right. churches all over the country. We watched it happen in our church, but it's not just, it's not a church problem. It is it is a national problem. But I do think some of the insights we gain from our worldview as Christians um, have application to the rest of the world. So that's what the book is about. And again, I'm super passionate about it. And I'm glad you talked me in to talk about <laughs> it on the podcast. Well, so am I. Um, in chapter two, you, you point out that even though we're a polarized nation, for the most part, you know, we do have more in common than not. But that there's this powerful force that's fueling our separation. Talk about that force. Yeah, well, we're divided by fear. I mean, that's a song lyric in several songs, actually. Um, we're divided by fear. And we're divided by fear because the people who want us in their corner gin up fear. And that's not new. No, no right. you know, nobody wrote that down if they're taking notes. We, we know <laughs> that. But it seems to be worse than ever because of social media. It's worse than ever because, you know, we just came through a pandemic with social unrest and a divisive political season. And then the season didn't end <laughs> because the election never ended and on and on we go. And then there's round three of the pandemic. So what generally kind of ebbs and flows in our political seasons and in our seasons as Americans, it all merged together and, it, and it's a mess. And again, you know, difference of opinion, not a problem. Allowing that to divide us and watching it divide um, families, um, people in churches, people in business, Andy, I'm actually interested because I've, I've never heard you answer this. Why write this book and why write it now? The background for the book, Lane, and you know this, but for our podcast listeners, so a year ago, last spring, I was so frustrated. And I was frustrated specifically when I saw evangelical leaders, nonprofit leaders, and church leaders line up behind their political candidate of, of choice and subjugate their message as a Christian or as um, nonprofit leaders to a political, to, to political talking points. And then as Christians, to watch so many Christians wrap their politics in the words of Jesus or the words of Scripture, again, this isn't the first time, but it just seemed worse than ever. So I decided to address that specifically as it relates to Christians and the local church. But again, anybody who reads the book these are general principles that we could all benefit from, and none of it is original with me. I just felt like I had to say something. Mm. Andy, circling back to the the idea of people ginning up fear, what do you think's behind that? Well, fear is profitable. I mean, fear <laughs> fear is extremely profitable. There is no money to be made in the middle. There, it's hard to market the middle. Mm. Um, it's hard to create any emotion around the middle. You know, the, the money is to be made. Uh, you, you get friends, followers, and fans in the extremes. Because in the extreme, I have an enemy. And unfortunately, most leaders feel like they need an enemy in order to lead, which is actually a sign of poor leadership. If you need an enemy in order to lead, you're not really leading. You're just reacting to the other leaders. Wow. Um, I tell leaders all the time, hey, if you want to swim to the other side of the pool, that's fine, but don't kick off the wall. Just swim under <laughs> your own power, right? And because oftentimes um, the political sphere does not attract leaders, in fact, one of the questions we've all asked is, why are these our options? Why are we left with these choices? Right. Well, and, and, and we say, well, certainly there are better people. Well, there are certainly better leaders. 
but it's difficult to actually lead within the context of running for office, not once you're in office, but, you know, a leader has a hard time running for office because of what, what it requires in our country to run for office because a leader wants to solve problems and problems are not solved in the extremes. But to get elected, you got to run to the extreme and the way you build your party, your platform, your, you know, your followers, unfortunately, is by making the people who agree with you afraid of the people on the other side. But here's the dirty little secret. The goal is to always appear as if you're losing. You can't ever be winning. If you're winning, you're, you're going to lose energy. We're winning. We're going to take our foot off the pedal. We, we got this, right? right? So right up to the very end, there has to be a sense of we can do this. We are the underdog. You always want to be the underdog. <laughs> what we have, we have both parties running as the underdog, afraid that we're going to lose. And if we lose, do you know what's going to happen, Lane? Mm-hmm. It's the end. It's the apocalypse, right? <laughs> now, you and I and many of our podcast listeners have lived long enough to where we don't even listen to that anymore. But enough people do, and enough people only get their information from one source. So there, again, next thing you know, if the Democrats win, it's the end of the world. If the Republicans win, it's the end of the world. But they never want to appear as if they're winning. Everyone's always mm. losing. Well, it's so foolish. Mature leaders, they don't want to step into that. They, they, they can't look themselves in the mirror at night if they have to pretend and cause people to fear things that really aren't going to happen anyway. So it's, it's a mess. It's not new. But my hope, and not just my hope, there are other leaders all over our country who wish that the country would just ignore the nonsense, move back toward the middle where, where problems are actually solved. Now, you and I know this. Sometimes um, within the context of our churches, when I talk about moving toward the middle, people immediately hear compromise, compromise, compromise. You're not willing to stand for anything, which is completely not true. And I'll tell you, I tell you where I learned this. Um, I learned this from a letter from Birmingham jail when, when I read that years ago. Dr. King talked about standing in the middle. He said, when you stand in the middle to solve problems, you get shot at from every party. There was a group that said, go back to the North, go back to Boston where you belong. You don't belong here in the South. It's not your problem. There was a group of black leaders that said, we're going to march at night and we're going to meet violence with violence. And then there was a group of white leaders that were like, give us more time, give us more time. We just need more time, more time, more time. And he would not embrace any of those perspectives. He stood in the middle. So consequently, at the beginning, he had very few friends. But Hmm. today, there is a statue of him in Washington on the mall. So if you, right. if you, you know, if you want to know, you know, how to make a difference in the world, it's by staying out of the extremes and staying in that uncomfortable place where problems are actually solved. And, um, you know, whenever I talk about this, you know, the average person's like, yeah, but how in the world do you break through the noise and break through the politics? Now, in terms of what happens in culture in general, I'm concerned, you know, I'm, I vote every time I have an opportunity to vote, but my primary concern is what we've seen happen in the local church because of this same fear-mongering and this same um, politicizing of everything, including the local church. Before we continue, as I mentioned at the top of the broadcast, our sponsor, Belay, is offering a free download of their latest book, Delegate to Elevate. In Delegate to Elevate, you'll learn how to stop diluting your efforts by trusting your team with more responsibility. This, of course, will empower you to courageously focus on your strengths and delegate your weaknesses, something we talk about all the time on the podcast. And if you do that, of course, you'll develop future leaders in the process. 
Just text the word Andy, A-N-D-Y, to 55123. That's Andy to 55123 for your free copy today. And you'll be back to doing what only you can do, which is growing your organization. Well, Andy, there is so much great stuff in the book. There's absolutely no way to cover this in one conversation. But uh, I do know that your podcast listeners are, are geared to action and practical steps. So I'd love to talk a little bit about some of the best practices and behaviors that you've given in the book. The, the first one we've talked about on the podcast before, and that's to resist the urge to make a point instead of a difference. Yeah. And of course, when it comes to politics and culture wars, it's all about making points and getting points and scoring points. And making no progress at all. And making big promises that you can't keep. Mm. I mean, it's not that you just can't keep them because most political promises are around certainty. I'm going to provide certainty, certainty, certainty. Mm. And as we talk about, leaders know better. You can't provide, you can't promise certainty. You can just offer clarity. So, yes, it's to resist the ideas, to resist the urge to make a point without making a difference. And to all of our podcast listeners, because we have above average listeners, they they already know this, but I'll say it anyway. Never, ever make a point that undermines your influence and never make a point at the expense of making a difference Mm. or that diminishes your ability to make a difference because now you just alienated half the people in the country. And this is the thing that has driven me nuts about what I've seen happen in some churches as you know, as, as a Christian, our mandate is to inspire people to follow Jesus. Well, if I allow my politics, my political views that I wear out front, if I allow those to alienate half the people in the country or mm-hmm. let's say whoever's in the other party, then you know, I've I've undermined my own purpose and calling as a Christian, but it's not just Christians. Everybody who's listening has some sort of sense of purpose and concern for the entire country, right. for all of, for everyone who needs help, for everyone that needs to move forward. So why in the world would we make points that undermine our influence with the people that, at the end of the day, we want to see them prosper. We want to we want to see them develop. We don't consider half the country our enemies. So yeah, and and so of course this has a lot to do with social media and our one-liners and the things we post and the things we forward and the things that we allow people to get by with in our presence when they're pitching their crazy ideas in ways that are demeaning to other people. So again, it kind of goes back to, hey, can you present a positive vision for what you want to see happen in our country without demonizing the party? Because if I have to demonize someone, if I have to broad brush them, you know, Democrats are anti-religion, the Democrats are anti-guns, Republicans are anti-poor people, the, you know, the Republicans are all racist, you know, whatever it might be. The, The moment that we even tip our hat in any of those directions, we've undermined our credibility and we've alienated half the people in the country. Well, why would anyone who cares about our country do that? Well, there's only one reason. They, they, they want something or they want right. something from us or they're just not thinking it through. So, yeah, never make a point at the expense of making a difference. The, the goal in life is to make a difference, which means from time to time we just need to keep our mouth shut and just do the right thing. So that's a part of it. Before we leave that topic, Lane, I just want to add one more thing. Telling someone they're wrong is not the same as inspiring them to do what's right. And we are so content and we're so quick to point out where we think people are wrong. But if that's all we do, we're neither leading nor inspiring them to do what's right or to be a better person. And if all people hear from me is the negative, again, once again, I have given up my opportunity to actually help people move forward. And leaders know better, which, again, makes a, you know, inflamed uh, political season very difficult for leaders to want to even step into it. It's just so anti-leadership. 
Andy, in that same vein, when it comes to making points instead of differences, I've heard you caution leaders not to take a stand on everything that the public wants you to take a stand on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's tempting. Right. Uh, um, it's one of the reasons that I don't do interviews unless people send me the questions ahead of time. There are some things that I don't want to talk about publicly, not because I don't have an opinion. My wife would assure you I have an opinion about everything, <laughs> but I never want my, you know, potentially misinformed opinion to undermine my influence with people that I want to influence in a positive direction. So just because somebody wants you to take a stand, I'll, I'll tell you the best example of this, or an example of this that I use with my kids growing up. There's a situation in the New Testament where um, Jesus' enemies are the people who are trying to trip him up and you know embarrass him publicly so he'll lose the support of the crowd. They ask him a question about where he gets his authority, and he knew it wasn't a sincere question. Mm. So he asked them a question, and they don't know the answer to the question he asked. And he says, well, then I'm not going to answer your question either. And anybody who reads this text knows that Jesus knows the answer to the question they're asking because they're asking him about where, what is the source of your authority? What gives you the right to say this? Well, he decided, you know what? I'm not going to answer that question to you because it has the potential to undermine my influence with the crowd. So I'm just not going to answer the question. So I've told my kids growing up, hey, there are some questions that just aren't worth answering. And just because somebody asks you does not mean you are required to answer. So there are times when we just either keep our opinions to ourselves or we just refuse to take a stand, not because we're cowards, but because, again, the way people ask the question, their motive behind the question. And, of course, this goes back to something we say repeatedly on the podcast. We should never give up influence unnecessarily, which means at times there are questions we just shouldn't answer. And there are stands that we don't necessarily need to take. Andy, I'd like to go back for a minute to the, the idea that you mentioned that real change happens in the messy middle. The picture of opposing sides coming together reminds me of another guideline you've given us over the years. Don't fear guilt by association. Yes. And this, again, within the context of politics, um, this is so difficult um, to apply. And, you know, if you come from a, let's just say you come from a home that where most of your family members are Democrats, you're having dinner, a topic comes up, and you know what, you generally agree with the way the Democrats view the world, but there's a couple of things you disagree with. And to have the courage to say, well, you know what, I would like to break rank on that issue. Most people just won't do that. Because in, you know, in this current culture, if you break rank over anything, you're out. It is all or nothing. You might as well just get up and leave. You might as well, you know, change the bumper sticker right. on your car. And that's true of Republicans um, and Democrats. So what that boils down to is the fear of guilt by association. If I associate with a view that doesn't line up perfectly with my political party, right. then I'm out. But that's the only way to make progress. And mature leaders and specifically mature Christians who, again, don't view a political party as their king, but theoretically, we view Jesus as our king. <laughs> you know, he is our political party of choice, so to speak. We are partisans of the party of Jesus. Well, then Jesus determines our values and Jesus influences our views. And if even if we line up 80 percent with a party, we should be willing to break over the 20 percent if that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the public space. And again, if the country thought more that way and was willing to, 
<laughs> to risk guilt by association, more people move toward the middle again where problems are actually solved. And anybody listening to this is shaking their heads like, well, of course, well, of course, well, of course. But doing that, you know, that'll get you uninvited for Christmas or Thanksgiving or any <laughs> number of things, right? Because there's there's the assumption that it's all or nothing. You're you're in or you're out. And of course, the world doesn't work that way and problems are never solved that way. Andy, one of the things that speaks to what you were just saying that I loved in the book was, was the statement, if you're going to build a bridge, you have to get comfortable with the idea of permanent footings on both sides of the ravine. Yeah, that's right. A bridge is a bridge. We don't build draw bridges. They, these have to be permanent bridges where people from both sides, again, can meet in the middle. We can't influence people that we refuse to associate with. Mm. And this is the duplicity or the hypocrisy, again, of what I've seen happen in the church. You know, supposedly, again, as I said earlier, we are called to influence the whole world. Well, you can't influence people you're at war with, and you certainly can't influence people that you won't even associate with, mm-hmm. and you can't get people to associate with you if you've demonized them and, again, made these broad brush assumptions about entire groups of people. You can't build a bridge to a particular community if you're going to be afraid of what people will think about you being associated with that particular community. And, Lane, while we all want to, I guess, guard our credibility— At some point, doing the right thing is going to cost us some credibility with some people. Mm. But that's okay. In fact, you can't name a single person in any season or in any period of world history who made an actual difference, who was not willing to give up their credibility with one group in order to do the right thing. And again, in the moment, um, they're often demonized. In the the moment, (laughs) they're sometimes crucified, right? Mm. But at the end of the day, we look back and we say, oh, that was the way forward. They were, to use a phrase that's overused, they were on the right side of history. So again, our willingness to break with our party over specific issues, break with our family over specific issues in order to walk toward the middle to actually solve problems, um, that's good leadership, that's good citizenship, and it is definitely good Christianity. And finally, Andy, a third guideline you address in the book is not to attempt to police the behavior of people who don't believe what you believe to begin with. Yes, and does that even need to be said, <laughs> right? But here's, here's how this plays out. And we've, we've all been there. You know, I'm guilty. We're all guilty. We say things like, I can't believe she would say that. Or how could anyone believe that? Or how could anyone vote for him? Or how could anyone go along with that? Well, what we're saying is there's something I don't know. They said it. They're going along with it. They voted for her, and I don't know how anyone could do that. Well, it sounds like I'm criticizing them. I'm actually making a statement about myself, right? Right. I don't know something. There's clearly something they know, believe, or there's a way they see the world that I don't understand. And the moment we expect people— to embrace our worldview, or or I should say it this way, the moment we begin assuming that people probably see the world the way that we do, but they're just doing something wrong or immoral or unethical, we've made a huge mistake. Mm. And this is why, Lane, especially um, during a political season, we should lead off in our conversations with our values rather than our beliefs. In fact, last month on the podcast, we talked about that with Adam Grant, that Mm. basically I can bridge a relational gap with just about anyone if I lead with my values, our values, because 
we, we mostly have shared values with other human beings, whether it's family, prosperity, health, safety. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But in a political season, our tendency, our temptation is to lead with our beliefs, which, you know, again, I've just isolated half the country. And when I lead or when we lead with our values instead of our beliefs, we create common ground with people who believe differently. And then we discover, and maybe they'll discover, that there's actually a reason I believe differently. And there's a reason they believe differently. And then we have that, oh, moment, like, oh, I assumed, oh, I always Mm -hmm. thought, oh, I always thought people like you, you know, all those crazy things that Mm -hmm. we say. And again, what have we done? We've moved toward the middle. So if folks in the United States of America would just, especially during a political season or whenever there's something that's um, culturally disruptive, if we would just lead with our values, we discover that people aren't on the other side. They're not crazy. Mm -hmm. They just see the world differently. And to assume that they see the world the way that I do and they're just misbehaving is foolish and it's immature. And again, it creates an environment where there's so much hostility, it's almost impossible to make progress. I'll throw in this real quick. And um, I had the opportunity to go down and speak to the the Georgia House of Representatives. And I have a friend who's been inviting me for seven years, and I would just never do it because they give you five minutes to read a scripture and say a prayer. And, you know, I don't know. I'm busy. I mean, I, I, I love my state. I really do. But that's a lot of time for a little bit of... So I finally agreed to do it. But I said, is it okay if I don't just read a scripture and talk for five minutes? He said, yeah, whatever. I'm not running again. <laughs> so I said, okay. <laughs> And so, you know, I love our state. Goodness, I love our state. So there I am in this very formal environment. And I said basically what I, I just said, that, hey, the problems aren't solved in the extreme. And, and I said to them, I said, I need you to love the people in our state more than you love your party. And if you'll just decide that you will love the people in our state more than you love your party, we're going to figure this out. And, you know, heads were shaking and Again, that's, and I said, and that's what you got into this job to do. You didn't get into to politics, state politics, in order to just hopefully just build a brand or to, or to protect a party. You got in to make changes in our state. So come on, we can do this. So again, it's not complicated, but it's emotional. Mm. And it takes extraordinary courage to step out of our, to get out of our bucket, you know, with all the people who agree with us and view the world and experience the world the same way we do, and to move toward the middle. And moving toward the middle is not compromise. Moving toward the middle is courageous. Moving toward the middle in the way we're talking about it says, I care more about solving problems and helping people than I do my reputation with my fan base and more than I care about winning an election. And one of the reasons I entitled the book, Not In It To Win It, is because of all people, Christians in particular, and the church in particular, should not be in it to win it. We're here for something different. We're here for a completely different purpose. Mm. And when the church politicizes the church, We've already lost, even if our candidate wins. So that's kind of the thrust of the book. Well, Andy, as we wrap up today's conversation, any final thoughts? Yes, I hope everyone will pick up a copy of Not In It to Win It. There's that final thought. Yeah. Yes, another kind of big idea maybe we should come back and chase down another day. You know, we've all grown up hearing that actions speak louder than words, and it's true. Our actions speak louder than our words. But I'll tell you what speaks louder than our actions is our reactions, Our actions tell part of the story. Our reactions, our reactions tell the entire story. And I have been so disappointed by how church leaders and by how Americans in general have reacted to what we have just 
come through. So I just want to encourage all of our podcast listeners. I know you're wonderful people. You're polite people. You're kind people. You're generous people. You're compassionate people. I want you to pay attention to your reactions Mm. because if you can harness the energy of how you are tempted to react in order to move toward the middle, you'll be a better leader. You'll solve more problems and you will maintain your influence with the people that are willing to listen and the people that perhaps can partner with you from a different perspective, with different life experiences to make a real difference in your city and your state and in the world. Well, Andy, thanks so much for taking this time with us today. And thank you to our audience for listening. As we mentioned earlier, Andy's new book, Not In It To Win It, is out this month. And be sure to visit the andystanley.com website where you can download the Leadership Podcast Application Guide. That includes a summary of our discussion, questions for reflection, or group discussion. 